Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to The Python Show. I'm your host, Mike Driscoll, and today we have my friend Pablo. Pablo is a core Python developer, and he also is the release manager for uh, the last couple of releases of the Python programming language. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me here. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's good to good to have you. So I always ask my my guests um, to tell us just a little bit about yourself, give us some background info on how you got into programming. Sure. Um, so actually, um, many people don't know this, uh, but I uh, I'm kind of a uh, a person from the outside of programming because I, I used to be a physicist. Well, I suppose I'm still am a mm-hmm. physicist. Um, you, w- once you become a physicist, you you never abandon it. I, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to code uh, as part of uh, the simulations that I was doing in physics. And in particular, I was doing black hole physics. And uh, you know the, the equations are quite complicated. So there is a moment when you need to like resort to simulations and um, you know at the time the the languages that I started with was uh, C++ and CUDA which now is very popular <laughs> with all the machine learning uh, but at the time it was you know the sticks and stone kind of thing because it was mm-hmm. early days um, but, but uh, it was quite cool and um, then it turns out that a lot of people started to use this cool new language well new language at least in the field that was Python um, mm-hmm. which you know it, it was already like 3.4 at the time or something like that uh, okay. It's just that on, on the astrophysics field, which now is a bit weird if someone is jumping on the field at the time, because right now Python is everywhere, even in astrophysics. But at the time, it was just like, you know, this new thing. Some people are using it and they feel great. So I started using it more and more, and I, I, fell, I fell in love with, with it. Um, and I suppose it's been a, a long run since, since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I fell in love with it, too, when I finally got introduced to it. Uh, so you got into uh, Python because you were a physicist, and then you found some really good libraries. Is that is that kind of the takeaway? Yeah, also the language itself. I mean, certainly the libraries part of the deal make uh, you know f- make you feel more productive, which I think is very important when you uh, when you like something. Like you know, people normally don't like the, the language or any language mm-hmm. just because of it all alone. I mean, I'm sure it, it obviously contributes a lot. But here, uh, you know, being productive and like knowing that, you know, oh, I have this small question. I, I'm sure I can get something working in five minutes. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, in those shy cycles, uh, development cycles short, I think is important. So that was a, a huge factor, but, but it's just the language. Like, you know, if you're used to this, uh, having to chase pointers and like, you know, seg faults and things like that, it's, it's, um, especially for someone who has not have like a formal, you know, computer science education, it may be a bit frustrating because mm-hmm. normally people... Um, use these things as tools and you know the, the tool is too complicated and then it gets in your way because you, you don't want your program to yeah. work you want what your program is going to do right because you need to do extra work so yeah. so you know at the time it, it, it's a, it's a, it was a huge new thing in which you can like you know not only accomplish things very quickly but also like it, it was nice to write in it right you know you don't need mm-hmm. to care about all these things and it was it was a pleasant experience it was very very different from from uh, what I have done before, so so I think that that's a huge factor as well why why I really like it. Yeah, cool. So how did you jump from being like a user of Python into core Python development? 
Well, I suppose uh, that's, that's the trap of core Python development, I suppose. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, you start contributing because something is wrong. Uh, normally, this happens to quite a lot of people. In my case, it was something on the documentation, I think on the socket module, if I recall, like that's mm. almost six years ago. Um, I don't know. It was something wrong that threw me off. I was doing some coding. I checked the documentation. I copied an example and the example didn't work. And they mm. said, hmm. So I made a PR and, uh, you know, at the time it was merged very quickly, very nice experience, some feedback, very cool. Uh, and I said, well, this is kind of cool, uh, you know, and uh, I made this thing and now everybody can, you know, benefit from the change I did. I wonder mm -hmm. if I can do something a bit more complicated, you know, and I started, it was Hacktoberfest at the time, uh, which mm. is something that we are very close to at, at, yep. at the time of the recording. So I said, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm going to have some some excuse here to to try to do this a bit more. And I think, you know, it was something that, that really like, I really enjoy, not only because of the challenge, uh, but also because like this sensation that, you know, I'm, I'm pushing something and, and people are finding it useful and people are enjoying it, either if it's a, even if it's a bug fix or a, or a documentation fix or a new feature. Um, I, I, I suppose that that hooked me. But what 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 really you know pushed me into core development, at least in my case, is the people. Like like uh, okay. all my my fellow core developers, not only are fantastic friends, um, a lot of them, but also really good mentors. And for me, it has been a fantastic experience to share time with them and you know conversations and a lot of the things that I have learned as a, you know, person in computer science is because of them. So, so certainly that, that was the hook for me, like the, the people there. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that your, your adventures into core development started with uh, fixing a documentation bug. That's a really good low barrier to entry. Way it, sounds to like, it sounds like a joke, but it's true. It's true. It's a very easy way to, to enter the, the world and it's still important. Like people, Sometimes when people suggest doing these documentation fixes, they think, ah, you know, it's just a documentation fix, but like it's, it, they are very important, right? Like, look, I fixed it because it was tripping me off, and, uh, and yeah. I spent like a, 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 like some time because it was not working. So, so you're helping people for sure. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I do. I, I go looking at people's documentation, and I'm like, if I don't understand the library, I'll either try to fix it or I'll probably just leave it because I I can't figure out the examples. So. <laughs> I think that's a really good place to start if for anyone who wants to get into, you know, core Python or helping with a just a popular project that you really like. Yeah, exactly. Uh, core Python may be a bit more complicated. Uh, this is not me trying to deter people. Please, by any means, contribute to C Python. We love your contributions. It's just that if you are going to start in the open source world, um, you know, like core Python is one of the hardest. So if you try it and then you find it somehow frustrating. Uh, maybe try something else as well before, you know, saying, oh, this is not for me because, you know, it's, it's a very old grumpy code base and, you know, it's not as easy as, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very grumpy as a code yeah. base. Yeah, well, I think that it has a higher barrier to entry because there's a lot of, right. a lot, lot of people contributing to it. So they have to be more picky about what they accept. It's also that there is a very, like the, the amount of low hanging fruit has long gone. So there is no more easy issues, uh, even issues that are technically easy, like in the sense that the code may be three lines or four lines plus a couple of tests. The discussion behind it, are like, you know, like people saying, oh, maybe this is not the right API. Maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. Like a lot of people find that engagement very tiring because they say, oh, I just want to code, right? I want to code this solution and like, you know, like talk about the algorithms and then it's like, two months of people talking about possibilities. Uh, a lot of people don't, don't enjoy the experience. 
Meanwhile, there is a lot of other projects that will love like your code and you can do a PR that will help a lot of people in just one hour and, and they will merge it. So, I mean, yeah. with time, right? But like not not with two months of people discussing the color of the <laughs> of the API or something. Yeah, I can see that. I I I don't like that when I have to like write and write an article and it has to go through the editorial process. I'm like, I just want to publish it. I don't exactly. want to wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you find the most enjoyable about open source development? Well, I think I think um, I mean maybe a bit cheesy, but I think the people at the end of the day, like you know, this is something that. Um, I keep finding myself because you know I have a lot of people that are also in open source. So from time to time, is is a bit difficult to um, you know like take a step back and look at the whole picture as a regular person in, in in the industry. And and this open source thing is quite wild if you think about it. We we are used to it because we are programmers. But like if you tell I don't know someone who makes uh, drills or any other profession that there is these people that are making drills like free drills. And not only that, but they are the ones that everybody uses because like even if there is this company in Germany making like fantastic drills, people don't tend to use those. They like the free drills more, and like the free drills are like you know driving the market or for whatever reason. And there is these people that not only make them by free, uh, but also they keep making improvements. And also, like there is people that complain that their free drills don't work in the way they want, right? So it's, it's kind of crazy. Like if you tell this to any person, uh, they say, "How how how is this working? Like how are these people like making it for free, right?" So so at the end of the day, you need a driving factor, right? And and yeah. you know, for some people, there is there is ways to get money out of open source. I'm not one of those persons for sure. Um, but so for me, the, the driving factor is the people, both the people I collaborate with. So my fellow core developers and other people in the Python community, but also the users, right? Like at the end of the day, um, we are, we are, we are trying to help people achieve what they want. Uh, so for instance, when, you know, I cannot tell you how incredible it is the sensation that you, you spend like, you know, several months making a feature and then you go to PyCon or any other conference and then you find that someone in some random place is using your feature to do something fantastic, right? Like we have seen this again and again. And like, you know, Python, we are very lucky that Python is used in so different ways and so many places from, you know, discovering black holes from, to, you know, make restorations of art uh, to analyze data, to drive, you know, AI. So, so at the end of the day, being at the bottom of the pyramid, because see Python at the end is at the bottom. I mean, sure, people use libraries, but at the end they also use the standard library and the language. Um, is 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 a fantastic experience, and today at least, this is what makes me excited about keep going in open source. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm still excited, and I'm still I consider myself more of a user than a creator, and from from your perspective. But you know, I go and I go online, I go and I look at Python. I'm like, wow. You can do machine learning, you can do web design, you can do, you know, desktop GUIs, um, statistics, like you mentioned, phys uh, physicist type activities. I don't even know what those are. I'm not a physicist, but there's just like, it's like an explosion. There's just so much you can do with Python and it's just right. really fun. It's, it's been interesting as well because um, we, we have failed so many times as core developers to predict what is the next big thing that people will do with Python. And from time mm -hmm. to time, we have different things, right? Like it used to be that Python was used hugely for web applications, like with Django. Mm -hmm. And it used to be a, a time when you go to conferences and it's only web applications, right? And the next yep. big thing was the numeric Python when like everybody was using Python from 
uh, to use pandas and numpy and things like that. And then now it's AI, mm-hmm. right? So um, we, we certainly adapt that, but for us, it's very difficult to predict how people will will use will use it next because it can be anything. Like you know, at the end of the day, or for instance, let's pick machine learning right now. Like people are using Python, but certainly most of these libraries that are using underneath are not Python. They are C, C++ mm-hmm. because they need to be really fast. And Python doesn't give you that speed if you just use Python. But at the end of the day, they still say, well, even if we could do this thing in Rust or C and C++, people really like Python because at the end of the day, that's the environment they are, they are feeling productive in. And sure, yeah, let's, mm-hmm. let's make sure that, you know, the, the 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 most of these libraries are very high performance libraries and therefore let's call them in in very efficient languages but the, the, the short phrase the thing that you will interact with is python because people really like it so so um that's something that keeps coming no matter what you're doing um so so and is that the challenge of the speed appears everywhere right um and with application with the guild in uh, numeric work with like compile extensions yeah. and the fact that you know python is a bit slow for for numeric work um but at the other day even with those challenges people keep coming to the language so, so you know so there is something there that people really enjoy right yeah i agree i mean <laughs> the last week or so i've been looking at some c code and i'm like why is this so hard to read why is it so hard to trace where something is imported from because it, it comes in from some header file that I don't understand, and I don't do enough C++ or C to to be able to follow that import path all the way down. And I'm like, this would be so much easier if it was just written in Python, but I know it wouldn't be performant enough for this particular application. And I'm just like, this is why people like Python, though. You can slap it on top of the C and makes it abstracts away that, that pain point, and then you can just do what you want right. uh, easily. One of the things now that you mentioned this, which is very interesting, is that we even do this on the standard library. So the standard library, there is many parts that needs to be, you know, performant and things like that. So we, we, the standard library has a lot of C code apart from the interpreter itself, right? Obviously, Python is written in C, but also the standard library, a huge chunk is, is also written in C. But sometimes uh, we look at one of these C modules, and then we say. Sure. I mean, yes, it's, it's very fast and whatnot, but like maintaining this thing, like making new changes or fixing bugs or whatever, it's just a pain. So sometimes what we do is that we say, okay, we, we are going to, um, I mean, obviously with not the most most critical applications, but with some of the modules that we say, okay, we are going to sacrifice a bit of performance, maybe like 10% or something like that. Um, um, we need to measure it for sure, but like to, to just rewrite it in Python because like maintaining this thing in C is just too much for, for what it's giving us. And this has yeah. been like a pattern in some of the modules. Like for instance, uh, zip importer, the, the part of Python that can import uh, zip files and things like that. And that was written in C, uh, very efficient C. And, but as you can imagine, dealing with like all the zip files um, and libraries and like, you know, the, the zip tables and whatnot was a bit... Uh, complicated, especially in the, in the import system. And it was quite challenging to maintain. So one of the core developers, um, Sergio Storchaka, rewrote the, rewrote the whole thing in Python. Um, and he's doing the same thing. I think it was just one thing that was different. And it, it was because it was unspecified. So you know there, there, wasn't, there wasn't any place in the documentation that says, this must behave like this. It was just one of these things that people were relying on. But apart from that, it was a perfect port. And now it's uh, much easier to reason about the code. Uh, more people can contribute to it. Because also, like, if you want to contribute to the standard library, if you are a Python programmer, uh, you don't know C most of the time. So, so it's better that you can you can read Python code than you can read SQL, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, if something is written in Python, it, 
it has even more chances than someone could help with that particular module that I think is written in C. Uh, also, the reviews are easier because you know it's less things that we need to be aware of. Um, so, so at the end of the day, even if it's slower, sometimes it's still better, right? Because there is other other areas when when we can gain even in the standard library. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've looked at some of the C underneath Python, and I'm like, wow, this is this is some high level stuff. So I haven't d dived too deeply into it just because it's a little bit above above where I'm currently at. Well, there is some dark corners there, so be careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So, are there any new features or improvements in Python that you're excited, uh, completely excited about right now? Well, plenty. Apparently, these last releases, Python 3.10, 3.11, and in a month, 3.12, and there has been quite a... I mean, maybe maybe you have a favorite release or favorite feature, but compared with other old versions, um, they are quite packed with changes. Like, maybe not features, but changes for sure. So I'm quite excited about a lot of things that we are doing right now. Um, so I will mention a couple... Um, so in my particular camp, which I, I maintain the, the parser of CPython, so all the grammar and all that part, uh, one okay. of the things that I have been working quite a lot these past two years is to make the interpreter a bit more friendly when it reports syntax errors and things like that. So when you receive an error because you write incorrect Python, uh, it used to be that you know Python tells you, like, this is just bad, I like, or, you know, syntax error, and that's it. And... You know, if you are an experienced Python programmer, then you know what to do, even in the most, you know, crazy cases. Like the, the one of the things that a lot of people struggle with at the beginning is that they forgot to close a parenthesis and the error there was just abysmal. Uh, it was something like <laughs> at the end of the file, it's telling you uh, EOF. Uh, like, uh, what is that even, right? Like, oh, it stands for end of file, right? And like, that means that the parser has keep like parsing, but it, there was something missing, but it doesn't even tell you what it was. Uh, mm -hmm. And for instance, uh, after Python 3.10, uh, now it's telling you, oh, you forgot to close this parenthesis, uh, which was, you know, line three instead of line 2000. So that improvement like this uh, has been quite, uh, quite, quite important. And it has started focusing on, 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 you know, the people that are starting or like, you know, middle, middle uh, level programmers because, you know, experts already know what happens but like more and more uh, like we have introduced things that um just just benefit everyone like even even myself calling these things i i remember very like one of the the things we introduced which was that now when you um, try to access an attribute of an object that doesn't exist the interpreter tries to, to to make suggestions and like for instance if you make a typo and then you say name tuple and then you like make a, a spelling mistake in name tuple, uh, name tuple or something like that. Um, then the interpreter says, "Oh, uh, this doesn't exist, but there is this other one that is super close. So maybe you mean like name tuple." Uh, and then you say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that was it." And I remember like when I was implementing this feature, um, uh, I already have it coded, and I was writing tests, and I make a typing mistake, and and it, like my feature says, "Oh, you're you're making a typing mistake," and I say, "Oh man, this is so fantastic! Like I, I just copy the thing and I just paste it. It's it's it's, it's great, right?" So yeah. um, that's something that I'm more excited about. And um, interestingly, a lot of people like have uh, communicated that they are super excited about this, and and uh, like very experienced people and beginners and teachers. Uh, so this is something that nobody mm. really dislikes uh, compared with other features. You know, like there is sometimes that we we do things that people don't enjoy or some some part of the users don't like. 
Uh, it seems that you know better error messages is something that everybody like, likes. So it's a very safe area to to be in. Uh, so yeah. that's something that I'm excited about. I think that's a really good spot to to be working on because you know, a lot of people will look at a mature language and they won't think about that. So like um, I was I was recently learned picked up some C sharp because I was like this I've always wanted to get better at that, and the error messages for that are terrible. Right. Like where the heck do I go to fix this problem? And you know C sharp I think is newer than Python, but it's still been out for like twenty years. Right. And they they don't really have very good error messages. I think even the Python you know three six before you started fixing all that has better error messages. Wow, than the that's, current version. that's something, eh? because it, they, they used to be very bad. <laughs> I know, but I, I think they're more readable even then than what I'm currently seeing in the latest version of .NET. And I'm just like, why? And I think it's really cool that you know you and the, the Python core team are focused on making that beginner development experience so much better. So, so actually, one of the things that happened there is that um, at the time we, uh, I was working with uh, Widow Van Rossum, which is the creator of Python, and Lysander Nicolaou. Um, mm -hmm. When we changed the parser, like the the parser of Python in Python three point nine and before, was the the oldest piece of language. Like it's something that the first thing that Widow wrote thirty mm -hmm. years ago. And um, you know it served us for a long time, but you know it was getting a bit old, and and it was getting in the way for some of the latest changes. So mm -hmm. we said, oh, we're going to replace it with this newer one, and and then we make this this new parser, which is extremely powerful. It's like like getting like you know a, a, a nuclear plant uh, of a parser, <laughs> right? And a lot of people at the time were like, okay, yeah, this this you know is much better than your your small like fire. <laughs> now you have a nuclear plant, but like maybe this is too much in the sense that maybe mm -hmm. now people will start using the nuclear plant to do evil things. And at the time, it was a bit like I mean, we obviously said, no, we, we are going to take care of the thing and we will make sure that you know Python doesn't become unreadable and whatnot. But um, you know, it was. It, a bit difficult to to tell people. No, no, this is good. Like it's not just for crazy syntax, right? This is going to help a lot. And when we said, well, now that we have the nuclear plant, we have power to do this extra thing, which is like the error messages. And um, so I say, okay, let, let, let's let's start adding more and more error messages now that we have the power. And you know, it turned out a really good use. And now everybody loves the nuclear plant, right? Like uh, so, yeah. so, so it's a, it's a it's a good way to also show people, like you know, is. It's not only about like changing things to to add new grammar and new crazy things to the language. It's also because like you can improve user experience, and this is something very important as a language designer, right? Like mm -hmm. not only the features of your language or your like you know oh I have this Walrus operator or this other thing or like is 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 the user experience, but that goes even when when something goes wrong, right? Like uh, like uh, mm -hmm. the interpreter says oh you did this wrong, but like there is many ways to tell you that so. So that also contributes when people say, oh, I love Python because it's so easy. It's not only very easy to write, it has to be easy to read and easy to run. Mm -hmm. uh, and like when you run it and it doesn't work, it's also a, a scenario that you need to think about. And yes. a lot of people just say, well, it doesn't work, right? Like, and we have all done this, right? Like if, even if you call a small script, uh, what happens if there is no mm -hmm. file? Well, you say there is no file. But why there is no file? Like it's because like someone, <laughs> like, you know, thinking yeah. about like, why is this happening? It's the same, right? It's very easy. You're making a parser that says, oh, there is no colon. So you say error, no colon. Mm -hmm. but, but, but why? It's because the user has forgotten the colon? Or it's because you're you're trying to parse something in another way and, and the error is like in line three, right? So so mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting um, area to, to think about. And um, it makes you even like 
understand more about how users use your language and how they think too, because you need to kind of like tell the language to explain to the user, no, 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 it's not that way, it's this way. So, so you need mm-hmm. to understand both the problematic way and the, the, the right way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to mention something else, uh, answering your, your question about things that I'm excited about that uh, I'm not doing because otherwise it would be like just a spam for like my work. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things, uh, two things that I'm very excited about um, is the work that um, uh, we are doing in CPython, particularly the faster CPython team to speed up the interpreter. So this is okay. like um, an initiative that I started um, one or two years ago in Microsoft uh, by Widow Van Rossum that he's working now there. With a with a team of core developers and other people, and the idea is to um, to make the interpreter faster in every release. So so there is a lot mm-hmm. of new optimizations and changes to several parts of the language, uh, so it runs faster. It's not going to run as fast as C or C plus plus, but like it's still going to mm-hmm. make a difference, right? Even if your script takes like one hour and instead of one hour it takes half an hour, well that's quite a lot. Even if it's not like okay, yes, let's rewrite it in C plus plus and now it's a second. Sure, but now you yeah. have three thousand lines of C plus plus. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, so that's important. I'm very excited about because it's not only going to help a lot of users, but also it's very exciting computer science behind those changes. So this is something that I really enjoy. And it's an interesting yeah. challenge. And obviously the other thing that I, I'm very interested to see how it plays out is the um, recent work that was proposed to remove the, the global interpreter lock, which is mm-hmm. this, this piece of Python that um, kind of prevents real parallelism in the language so you, you can have mm-hmm. threads but like it's not possible to run threads at the same time so kind of they, they, they interleave like mm-hmm. one thread runs for a time and then the other thread runs for a time so um, for a long time this was something very hard to do well technically it was very easy to do the problem is that it makes the language very slow <laughs> so, yeah. so removing interpreter log actually is very easy the problem is making it efficient um, yes. and uh, some grows which works at, at meta um, he he made this proposal, very complicated and complete proposal, and then he made a pep, and we are like like um, we we are uh, tentatively accepting it in the steering council. So very likely it will get accepted with some conditions. We are still working on the conditions, but um, this is a long thing that will take many years to to you know final be finalized. But it's yeah. going to be a huge change in language. So I'm very inter- interested to see how it plays out. Because it's, it's uh, I mean, it's not Python two to three again. I can promise you that it's not, not, mm-hmm. like, not, not, it's not Python four. But it's a, uh, it's on the, it's on the area, right? It's in the, it's on the realm of things, on yeah. the same, you know, magnitude. Because it, it's a multi-year project. There is some incompatible changes. I mean, not a lot, but like you know, so so especially yeah. in C. Yeah. Well, there has to be for that kind of a change. So. Yeah, but but people for years keep saying that they they really like this. Uh, so I'm interested to see if people also like the consequences because now you know with great power mm-hmm. comes great responsibility. Uh, with yep. multiple threads comes multiple bugs. So let's yeah. see if people can deal with the multiple bugs, right? Yeah, I don't think they know how nice. You know, I know I know a lot of people like to complain about the threading in Python, but I think it actually kind of fits my head compared to some of the other threading models I've seen in other languages. So it'll be interesting to see why, how that changes in the future. Well, as a person who writes a lot of C++ at work um, um, and a lot of threaded C++ at work, yes, like, you know, it's very good that you don't have like the kind of bugs that will appear when you have threads, like that really can compete with each other. Because in Python, even if you 
don't code multiple threads correctly in the sense that you don't have blocks and things like that, things won't crash. Crash like hard crash, like segfault or something like that, or race conditions, something like that. So you, you still may have problems, and surely like you, you still need to think of blocks, something like that. Yes. But 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 debugging those problems is is hard, but it's not really really hard. And the reason being that you can still have a debugger that works. Uh, you, you you like can can like see when when the switch happens. Um, like uh, there is still a possibility. Like the, the the you you will get readable errors. Like your dictionary will tell you, oh, dictionary mutated during iterations. Ah, oh, that's because I have one thread iterating over my dictionary and the other was inserting on it. Oh, okay, this is the problem. In C plus plus, it will be just oh, the program crash. Like there is no there is no ah, why crash? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It crash. Or sometimes what happens is that you get some weird bird, like value in a dictionary. So you say, oh, which is the name of uh, Pablo? Uh, and then you get like, you know, like, oh, why is that there? Oh, it's because like, you know, it was two threads and the dictionary has a hash table and someone moved that pointer and now it's just garbage. So, so here you go, your your shard name now is garbage. So so yeah. that that is much harder to do and um, to the back. And this doesn't mean that this is going to be Python in the future because Python is still, you know, it's, it's not going to crash the same way as, as C++, but it's mm-hmm. going to be harder, like especially yeah. if you're writing extension modules and things like that. So um, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm very excited because it still is a very good change and, and it will mm-hmm. unlock a lot of new areas of Python that maybe were not possible. I, I want to see also how, how people interact with the thing and like what are the consequences because it's still unclear. It's such a big change. That it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen. Yeah, I agree. So I have a related question. We talked about core features that you're excited about. What are like some three Python packages or modules that are your favorites? Ooh, third party. Mm. So uh, for sure, I have to say at least NumPy, one of them, sure. Like mm-hmm. it's just, I have used it so, so many times in the past. Less these days, because obviously I don't do like physics anymore, at least on a day-to-day basis. I still do it in the weekends and whatnot because I, I still like to do simulations. But, but NumPy, you know, it's such a cornerstone that not mentioning it was, it will be like a disservice. So that's, yeah. that's for sure. Um, uh, I think I think I have a lot of fun with uh, HTTP as well um, when I was doing a lot of async IO. So uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but I really enjoy it. And I know that maintaining it is, is a, a huge challenge. So, you know, kudos to the, to the maintainers because, you know, that's, that's uh, not easy, not, not an easy thing to do for sure. Yeah. And um, w- one of the things I, I really, really, really enjoy and, um, you know, I, I really like, even if it's not loved by a lot of people, is Maplelib. Um, and this is because, like, you know, uh, again, like, obviously because of science, but, like, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of Matplotlib um, is an extremely powerful library. Uh, it's, it's a bit challenging to get, like, especially at the beginning because there's so many knobs and whatnot and people find it a bit intimidating, which, you know, it, there is a lot of reasons why that is also a very old library. But it's so powerful, like, in the sense that, uh, you know, at the time when Python was not used for numeric, like, uh, work, 
there were like very dominant actors in uh, like in the play field, right? One of them, for instance, I used it a lot. It was um, MATLAB and Wolfram Mathematica. I didn't use MATLAB at the time, but I used Wolfram Mathematica, which was one of the first ones that started to use this idea of notebooks, right? Like Jupyter notebooks. Now everybody knows what that is, but like originally, uh, Mathematica was <laughs> one of the ones using this idea of notebooks quite a lot. And like lo and behold, <laughs> now we are here, 2023, and more people know about Jupyter notebooks than Mathematica notebooks. Um, yeah. And one of the reasons this was possible is because plotting was still possible, and that plotting came from MATLAB. So, so this this is certainly something that you know helped a lot. And I have yeah. used it for so many things that that you know it will be also a disservice to not mention it. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm also not going to mention my third-party modules because I don't want this to be spam as well. But yeah. <laughs> What are your third-party modules anyway? I'm curious. Yeah, so I, I maintain like several profiling and debugging tools. Uh, one of them is Membray. I don't know if you have used it. So this is a memory profiler for Python. Um, quite complete. I, I'm very proud of, of the work that we have done there. Um, so this is something that I started at the company I work for, which is Bloomberg. Um, and um, I thought that it was something very unique and useful. So I decided to open source it. And now we do all the development in the open, so you can you can literally cool. see everything that we do, issues included. Um, you know, it has exploded in popularity. Like this, this, this starts sounding like spam, so I will start stop here. But like, um, <laughs> I'm very proud of it. So if you want to profile memory, at least consider using memory at some point. Uh, we have a cool web page as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up. That that's one of the ones that's on my to do list to try out. So. Oh, nice. So, so hopefully, hopefully the examples <laughs> the examples in the documentation will work. <laughs> I'm sure they will. I trust you. Well, if you have problems, you know you know who to, <laughs> who to contact with. <laughs> yeah, I know who to bug if I if I get stuck. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that reminds me. You mentioned NumPy as one being one of your favorites. Is there anything that's like replacing NumPy nowadays? Um, I don't think it's replacing, replacing, uh, because like what what happens uh, is that NumPy not only has become the library, but also like like mm. almost a universal API. So there is many mm-hmm. libraries that that kind of interact with NumPy or or pretend to be a NumPy array and are kind mm-hmm. of compatible. So Jax, for instance, if you're into the machine, I'm not in the machine learning work. I'm, I just know how to say the words so people think I <laughs> I know what I am talking about. But, um, so Jax is this library to do like um, like uh, like vectorize operations and tensors and whatnot, and it just does automatic differentiation and a bunch of the lingo in ML work. But the idea here is that they, you you can have a program written for NumPy and then you can just substitute this thing with this uh, Jax thing and it will just oh, work. And now you can say, okay. well, instead of doing it in the CPU, I want you to do. Uh, in the GPU, or I want you to compile mm-hmm. this code so it's even faster. Um, so um, I don't think anything is replacing NumPy. Like, but for instance, if you ask me for pandas, there is some projects, not maybe not replacing is a strong word, but like complementing or like there is mm-hmm. other alternatives nowadays. There is this thing called Polars. Uh, yeah. It's like a faster pandas thing, but NumPy, NumPy, I don't think so. Like there is many things that integrate with the thing or like pretend to be the thing, but but it's such a cornerstone right now that that is very hard to say that. Oh yes, there is this new thing replacing NumPy. Um, like it, it's just at the bottom of the whole of the whole thing of the whole yeah. chain. Um, so, so I don't think so. That's what I thought, but I was like, I don't follow that particular field of Python closely enough to know if it's having any major changes. 
they they're doing version two, I think, NumPy two. So they have some okay. heavy changes in the library for sure, and it's extremely actively developed. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also optimization and whatnot, but I, I I heard that there is some major new release, uh, like maybe it has already happened or is going to happen. Unfortunately, I don't know the details, but I, I know that uh, there is something super new soon or or has been. Um, okay. So certainly very actively developed. Uh, I don't think it's going to be replaced soon just because of this. It's because like mm-hmm. it's all, all, all already has transcended the library version. Now it's like the lingua franca of like you, you have numeric data and you need to adapt to this thing. So even yes. if you want to say, oh, I don't want to use NumPy, I want to use CUDA in the GPU, uh, you, you are going to try to pretend to be NumPy because that's what people know how to use, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And for my last question, as a theoretical physicist, which Python packages do you find most useful? Well, um, <laughs> that's, that's kind Probably of... I already talked about a lot of those, I'm guessing. But... I will say uh, a bunch more. So, um, okay. Yeah, so one of the, the ones that I used quite a lot when I started was PyCuda, which uh, is just like, unsurprisingly, is like bindings for CUDA, so you could write your GPU programs in Python. Uh, we, we need to remember that maybe now it's extremely easy to use and everything works. At the time, it was extremely challenging to use. It was super bare bones, but, you know, quite difficult to do as well. So it's not like someone was lazy. It's that, you know, very early days. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, everybody's using GPUs for things. So, so you know, uh, because a lot of people are using it, then it's a bit more smoothly made. At the time, mm-hmm. quite challenging. But on the other hand, it allowed me to do, like, some simulations using Python that I was not going to be able to do like if I wouldn't have PyCuda. So kudos to that. I love that library. And um, a bunch of libraries that I enjoy a lot these days that I don't use Mathematica anymore is this um, algebraic software. Because, you know, like th- there is this idea that you have equations and then you can put numbers in your equations and then you get the answers back as numbers. So that's very useful. That's how we do simulations. But some of the time we don't want that. Some of the times we want this, this abstract like interpretation. So, so you want to say I have X and I have another X and this is two X. I don't want to say X is one, therefore I have number two. I want to say two X or I have this equation. I want you to solve me the equation. So if I have X squared plus X plus one, I want you to solve me what is the value of X that is equal to zero, um, the whole expression, right? So, so this is this algebraic manipulation software, which Mathematica is very powerful for, also MATLAB and whatnot. But in Python, we have um, several possibilities. Uh, we have uh, SimPy, which is quite a big piece of software, um, which is, does many things in the in the same thing. There's also SageMath uh, that I use quite a lot. Uh, maybe people know these things because, you know, unless you are doing mathematics or physics, it's quite a, a niche area. But these mm-hmm. things are huge. Like, if you go to those web pages, uh, both are in Focus, I think, or at least uh, SimPy is. Uh, so, so this is like quite complicated software that a lot of people use um, for for this kind of, of thing, and I use it a lot these days. Um, quite, I'm very surprised about how much of the functionality that used to be only something that you could do in Mathematica, and now you can do in these things with Python. Like, let's let's keep remembering that this is still Python. Um, yeah. So, so I'm 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 very happy to mention them here, uh, and you know, and they are free, so you don't need to pay. I don't know what's the license of Mathematica, but quite, quite a lot of money. Yeah, um, yeah. It's also a very good software, but, you know, very expensive probably. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, probably those those uh, those things. Uh, if you keep asking me, I could keep saying packages. Like, I use a lot of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Yeah, at least I've heard of most of the ones you mentioned. So that that's cool. It makes me feel like I, I must know more math than I think I do. So <laughs> Right, right. Well, at least on my side, this means that I'm still uh, talking about th things that people know. You know, these feelings when like the, the kids start making jokes that you don't understand. And then it's like, Jesus, now I'm old. Right, like, like now I need to, I need to, <laughs> I need to, you know, step up my game and, and learn about the new cool things. Yeah. What is what is cool now? So you know, the fact that I mentioned in these packages and still people know what they are, then it's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Well, anyway, I wanted to thank you so much for being on the show, Pablo. Absolutely. It was awesome to have you. I, I was always, I've always wanted to talk to you. So that's that's just really cool for me. I'm really happy that, that you invited me and um, I'm very happy to come back anytime you need. Great. I'm, I'll probably invite you again because I, it's great to talk about Python and core development and just let other people know, you know how to get involved. All right. Well, we're going to sign off now. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. 